And I want to tell you a little bit about myself to start out with, because some of you I don't know. I sit across, maybe across the auditorium from you. Um, but my background is, is that I'm not a native Kentuckian. You'll be able to tell that a little longer as my accent comes out. But I'm from Illinois, from central Illinois. And I first came to Campbellsville when I was 18 years old and started as a college freshman here at the university. And it quickly became home for me. Um, so that was 1999 that I came, and I got involved with the vineyard, and um, we were meeting at a storefront for a while, and then we moved to a theater. And uh, all along the way, then now we're here, and um, I've traveled all over the world uh, with the vineyard and with other people, but I call this place home. And I've been leading small groups with my husband, Mike. There he is. He's the one who turned me into an Italian. Um, but... <laughs> And, um, but anyway, we call Campbellsville home, and, and I'm definitely not a native Kentuckian, but I feel like I'm a native Campbellsvillian, so um, that's me. Um, today, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to continue in the book of Daniel and talk about King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so far, we've been focusing on Daniel himself um, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, what's interesting is that in Daniel 4, um, the narrative kind of takes a turn where it's no longer Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are no longer the focus. Instead, it's King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king that we've come to loathe along the way. Um, and what's so interesting about the Bible and what I love about the Bible is that it's not simply a list of instructions or a rule book on how to live life. But the majority of the Bible is made up of narratives. We read about stories throughout the entire Bible, and that's how God reveals his heart, is through stories. And um, it's just so reassuring. It's, you know, like, the reason that we know we can stand up to the enemies of God is because we heard a story when we were little of David with five smooth stones and no armor, and he was just a shepherd boy, and he came against Goliath. That's how we know we, we can have no fear when we come up the en- uh, against the enemies of God. Um, we know anything's possible, not just because we memorize that scripture verse, but because we know that Peter walked on water when he had his his gaze fixed on Jesus. That's what we know. We know that, um, you know, th- through the life of Joseph, we know it's possible to forgive your entire family when you've been completely rejected and abused by your family. It's possible to forgive. And we know that more than just that we should forgive our enemies. We know that because Joseph's life was a narrative for us to see and to learn from. And so that's what um, Daniel 4 is going to show us is that it's another story of a man who had interactions with God, and at times they were difficult, and at times they were rewarding, but there's something to learn from his life as well. So let's talk about King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, In my uh, searching about King Nebuchadnezzar in the past week, um, I came across this blog, and I just love blogs, but uh, I came across this blog that um, had the top 10 villains of the Bible, okay? So, you know, you can imagine who would be on there. We've got Judas Iscariot. We have King Herod's in there. Goliath is one of them. And King Nebuchadnezzar made the top ten villains of the Bible, according to the blog I ran across. And there's good reason for it. He was an absolute egomaniac. Everything revolved around him. 
Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you knew this, but he was the ruler of Babylon. And um, part of what his dominion was is that he was spreading his fame and his name out to everybody. And um, he's the one who had the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. He um, was the one who commissioned that because his wife was from the mountains and she didn't have any mountains there. And so he had those built for her. Um, He uh, was also a rageaholic. We know this from the account in the scriptures, right? When somebody wouldn't bow down to him, he, you know, put them in the fiery furnace. He was totally engulfed with rage at times. He was a ruthless villain, as I mentioned. He was, he was absolutely ruthless. He would destroy anybody who wouldn't line up with what his ideals were. And he was a pagan king. He was pagan in the very truest sense of the word that he was worshiping other gods. Not just one other god or two other gods, but he had gods set up everywhere. And his, his name is actually a reflection of the fact that he worships another god. He was pagan to the core. He was a true villain. And um, what's so interesting, though, is that in Jeremiah, um, God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Which is so interesting because the the mindset that we have of King Nebuchadnezzar is we've written him off as a top ten villain of all time. But God had intention for him, even through all that. So um, let's look back a little bit at the, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and I'm going to go through kind of what Adam and Dusty have already talked about in the past few weeks. But from King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. So, um, you know, we start with the, you know, the Jewish exile where they were forced into Babylon and forced to, to serve that kingdom. Um, from King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, he was pillaging all of Jerusalem, and it wasn't the only place he had pillaged. He, he had gone so many other places. And when he came to Jerusalem, he took the best and the brightest with him, and he took all the treasures of the temple. He's the one who set fire to God's temple. He completely destroyed it, um, and he was taking all the bronze, all the gold, everything that his army could take with them, they took. They would cut things to shreds and take it with them so that he would have the pillage of, of that. And then also one thing, one note I read that was so interesting is that the only people he didn't take with him were the poor people. He totally disregarded the poor and left them to fend for themselves. When he took everybody else and all the wealth with them, he left the poor so that they had no leg to stand on. And then um, I just have a little map here of the Babylonian empire. It's just so much bigger than, um, than I even knew when I first started researching this, but you know, it stretched through Turkey and Iraq and, uh, and into Iran and down to Saudi Arabia through Israel, Jordan, through Lebanon and Egypt. It was, it was everywhere. And, um, God had given Nebuchadnezzar so much. He, his kingdom had extended and extended. He was incredibly powerful. Babylon during that time was at the height of its um, prominence. And Babylon had 250,000 people in it. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of all of it. He had a gigantic area to rule. And, of course, we know about the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, the first one that Daniel interpreted, and that was of the statue where the different levels were made of different materials. And um, and it was a prophetic picture of the king, kingdoms to come, and we know that from Daniel's interpretation. 
But from King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, when he had this dream interpreted, it wasn't just a prophetic picture about the kingdoms to come, but it was also a personal word from God to King Nebuchadnezzar. And what it was is uh, Daniel interpreted and said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the king of kings. God in heaven has given you dominion. So it was a personal word. God was speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar through this dream, showing him that not only does he establish kingdoms and these, and his would be the greatest kingdom, but that he was an honored king. He was the one given dominion. And uh, the king's response was, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And this is kind of... Um, one of the first times that we see King Nebuchadnezzar is softening to the God of all gods, right? Because he's still a pagan king. He still has all of his temples set up and all of his places of worship and all the monuments that he had created. But um, he's softening to the God of gods. And then, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, in response to this revelation, even though he sees the God of gods, he builds a golden statue an idol that everyone must bow down to, right? And our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, they don't bow down. So from the king's perspective, though, he had created a mandate and they didn't follow it, which is just an incredible taboo. You cannot do that from the king's perspective. And so he promises that he'll kill anybody who won't do it. And he tries to follow through on that promise. He's a total egomaniac and he was filled with rage. Um... So then, of course, we know that the fiery furnace comes next and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in. And from the king's perspective, he was trying to pass this judgment that was going to be final and ultimate. But what he ended up receiving was he got a front row seat to see the Lord perform a drastic miracle. And it's the kindness of God. He watched as God rescued these three Israelites from this judgment, this unplaced judgment that shouldn't have happened. And he, and he rescued these guys. And King Nebuchadnezzar got to see it firsthand. He got to see an actual picture of salvation right in front of him. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just a display for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it was also a display for King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was God wooing him in. It was God calling him in and, and continuing to try to win his heart. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's response was, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No other God can save in this way. So we start to see glimmers of hope with King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, it's very clear that God is going after the heart of this king. And, and this narrative shows us that God will come after anybody, no matter how totally poor of heart somebody is. God will come after them. Um, there's, there's just different ways so far that God's shown that, and that one is that he placed an incredibly anointed person next to King Nebuchadnezzar. He had Daniel right there, just laying out mysteries of King Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He put Daniel there because he cared about King Nebuchadnezzar. Also, God had given the king a dream confirming the great call on Nebuchadnezzar's life. So this is some, obviously we know that God speaks through dreams and it's some of the most profound ways that we can hear God. But he's speaking to this pagan king who knows nothing about him and who doesn't care at all for God. And God still is coming after him. He's still reminding him that I'm here. I want your heart. I want, I want you. I want to restore you. I want to make you mine. Also, what I find is so interesting is that through this, 
this dream of the statue, um, God is revealing his plan for the next 600 years. He's telling hundreds of years in advance what he wants to do. And he didn't give the dream to Daniel. He gave the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. When God wanted to tell somebody the secrets of his heart, he didn't just go for his guy. He went for the guy he wanted, which is huge. I mean, the Lord's speaking to us. He's drawing us in and it's because he wants us. It's, you know, we don't have to be the most profound minister. We don't have to be the person who has it all together, but God wants our hearts and he's going to speak to us and he's going to reveal mysteries, not because we're great, but because he wants us. He wants our heart. God showed himself to King Nebuchadnezzar in the fire. And we know that. And, and that's, that's, that's a revelation there. I mean, Jesus himself was there in the fire with these three guys. He was there rescuing them. And anybody who was standing close enough to see that there were four guys in there saw God. They saw God on the earth. And King Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people. And there aren't many of us in the room who have seen the Lord. You know? And so it was huge. God revealed himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. But unfortunately, throughout all this still, King Nebuchadnezzar was still an egomaniac. He was recognizing that there was a God, that God revealed mysteries, that um, God was great. But he still had in his heart this, had built himself up as the God of his dominion. And, um, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was an actual king. There are actual artifacts that that uh, archaeologists have come across and have dug up and they have inscriptions on them and they're all extremely egotistical. They're hilarious to read because they're all about how wonderful King Nebuchadnezzar is. And um, here's one of them. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, glorious prince, worshiper of Marduk, adorer of the lofty one, glorifier of Nabu, another god, the exalted, the possessor of intelligence, who the possessions of the divinities hath increased, a worshiper of their lordships, firm, not to be destroyed, exalted chief, lord of peace, the valiant son, king of Babylon am I. So this is just one example of these, uh, you know, he was his world. He He was everything to himself. And he made sure that everybody knew about it. He made sure that everybody would know that he was the God of his dominion. So despite God reaching out to him and telling him that there's a God in heaven, there's a God that's actually ruler of everything. And it was the, the consistent word that God was speaking to him. He was still God of his own domain. And so unfortunately, um, Or fortunately, actually, for King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream about a tree. And um, this dream really troubled him. It was just a dream about a tree. And so he went to all of his magicians and his astrologers, the, the pagans who would help him decipher the spirit world. And none of them could decipher it at all. They tried. They were really scared about it, as they were the previous time. But they could not determine the meaning. So um, Nebuchadnezzar calls his chief of magicians, as he called Daniel. And Daniel comes in and, um, and Nebuchadnezzar, from his perspective was, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, Daniel, and no mystery is too difficult for you. So from King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, he knew who he could get right answers from. So he was still bent on himself and his own dominion and his own kingdom, but he knew where to go, which is huge in his favor. So here was the dream. 
this is in Daniel 4.10, if you want to read with me. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. So to some of us, that might seem pretty obvious what the interpretation was, but to most it wasn't. And Daniel came in and he interpreted the dream. And so first of all, um, the tree in the dream was King Nebuchadnezzar. He was great and strong. He was... um, he was so powerful. All that dominion, all those places, he provided for everyone in there. His power was great. His glory was great, and the Lord had given that to him. But then it turns that King Nebuchadnezzar would be dri- driven away from people and live with wild animals. But the, the really encouraging part is next, that the roots were still in the ground. There would be a stump there, but the roots would still be in the ground. And the interpretation there was that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And so even there, we're, we're starting to see again still the kindness of God. There's, there's this um, warning on King Nebuchadnezzar's life so far that he's about to be driven out. He's going to be living with the animals and acting like an animal. But the good news is, is that God still wants to restore him. God's going to keep his roots in the ground and that God wants to bring him back and give him everything back again. But Daniel, in response to all this, um, this edict that had come in, in a dream, Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. So right there, Daniel through the Lord, or the Lord through Daniel, offers King Nebuchadnezzar a chance to turn his heart back to God and to repent. It's incredibly gracious. The Lord in in the dream had made up his mind what to do, but Daniel and God offers King Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent and be restored and to not have to suffer that. So, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't choose that path. Instead, he chooses to continue on. And a year later, he's looking out over Babylon. He's seeing everything that's great in in the kingdom. 
And he gives the glory and honor to himself. He basically looks about and says, wow, I'm incredibly intelligent. I'm incredibly glorious. I'm, I knew everything that I was doing, and here it all is. It's beautiful, and I've done a really great job. And um, a voice comes from heaven, just like in the dream, and tells Nebuchadnezzar that his royal authority is being taken away. Because we know from the scripture that God's the one who gives authority. God's the one who gives it out. And so what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar is, obviously, he's run out of town. He's forced to live with the animals, and he becomes like an animal himself. Scripture tells us his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Which is probably not what he was sporting when he was actually king. So there he was. He was an animal and in a really low state. um, Incredibly rejected by God in that time. And um, sent out um, with his own insanity. Right? He was given over to his own insanity and his own egomania. And there he was. But finally, after this time, after seven years, the king comes to his senses. And scripture tells us, um, this is what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And after that time, his whole entire kingdom was restored. He was put back into his rightful place as king. And he was, and the scripture tells us he was actually given more after this restoration than he had to begin with. That he had supposedly created with his own hands. God restored him to his place. By all biblical accounts, King Nebuchadnezzar finished his life well. One of the top ten villains of the Bible. There he was. He was God's servant. He was God's friend at the end of his life. So, we have some lessons that we can learn from King Nebuchadnezzar. And the first of which is that God wants to speak to us about the state of our hearts. And this is really key because most of us, when we go to God, we're asking most of the time to what God's will is and what he wants us to do with our lives. I mean, that's a good and right thing to ask God. You know, what is, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Those are good things to do. But... We don't as often come to him and say, God, who do you want me to be? What do you want the state of my heart to be like? And the thing is, is that God really does want to speak to us about that because he he cares much less for our adventures in the spirit and our adventures for the kingdom and our conquests than he does about our hearts. It's why love's the greatest thing. It's why we can prophesy all mysteries. It's why we can speak in any tongue, but if we don't have love, we're nothing. He doesn't care as much about our actions and what we do with our life and our main mission in life as much as he cares about our hearts and and who we are. He's really committed to speaking about that. So it's a good question to ask, God, who do you want me to be? You know, God was speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was trying to, he was attempting to shape his character and giving, he was giving King Nebuchadnezzar invitation after invitation to become like him in humility and and in confession and just knowing that God is God and that King Nebuchadnezzar is not. And he wants to speak those same things to us. Another lesson we've learned from King Nebuchadnezzar is that it's foolishness to dismiss a hard word from God just because it's hard. It's a sign of immaturity to just receive easy words from God. 
and dismiss the hard ones. It's okay. God has patience for us. It's the really good news. But um, it is a sign of immaturity, and we're pressing on to maturity. The things we want in life, the things, the goals we have for ourselves in God, the things that, you know, the vision I have for my life of what I want to see myself be in 20 years, the mature person that I want to be, I'm not going to get there if I can't receive hard words from God. If I can't hear his correction over my life and, and take that as the sure thing and not wait for the shoe to drop and not wait for, you know, bigger discipline to come along. God's inviting us to hear the hard word and respond to it and to hear the small things and, and be sensitive to his spirit rather than wait until it's a big thing. Because it's all, it's all big, right? God wants us to, to, to bring us into maturity, and this is part of it. The other, another lesson we can learn from the life of King Nebuchadnezzar is that it is life-shattering to delay heart change when, God's invi- when God invites you into it. And King Nebuchadnezzar saw his life completely shattered. He saw everything taken away from him. He saw his community taken away from him. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. I guarantee you it was heartbreaking to God. And it was heartbreaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Had he listened to God and and responded, had he repented when Daniel asked and, and invited him into that, then we have good evidence that he would not have would not have had those consequences of being out in the wilderness and acting like an animal. In 427, um, it says that, um, O king, please be, you know, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right so that your prosperity would continue. He was invited into it. You know, there are so many times where God's inviting us slowly and softly and so gently, so kindly, God's inviting us into heart change. He's inviting us into repentance. And as much as we want to put that away and just not respond to those soft, kind words that the Lord has for us, we're just doing ourselves harm because life-shattering consequences come after that. When we're given to our own devices, when we're left to our own consequence of our sin and our choices, we're just left to it. And it's the kindness of God that he's telling us now to step into what he has for us. And stepping into maturity and to respond to those little, those, those, that small voice that God is speaking to us in. You know, we've all known about public scandals, you know, in the church where we hear of a pastor who's had an affair with the secretary and run away and, and all those things. And I guarantee you, God is so kind that when that scandal broke, that wasn't the first time he was calling that man or that woman to repentance. that's not the first time. God didn't just push somebody to the edge where they could be completely humiliated and their family destroyed and the community shattered. There were so many times along the way, I guarantee you, where those individuals were able to hear the voice of God. They received correction. They could hear the correction of the Lord, but they refused to receive it. I guarantee you, the Lord's so kind. He doesn't want to see us, our lives shattered. He doesn't want to see us humiliated. He doesn't want to put us out in a place where we're completely destroyed and it it harms everyone around us. He doesn't want that for us. He loves us. He's so merciful. And that's why it's paramount that we ask the Lord, God, what heart change are you inviting me into? You know, perhaps you can remember along the way, as, as I was just, I've been meditating on this. God, what heart change do you want to invite me into? What, have, what are 
what words have there been along the way that I've ignored? Just because I'm, I'm looking for self-preservation. You know, I'm not out to hurt anybody necessarily, but, but God, there are those words. There are those invitations that you've been calling me into. And along the way, I could think back and, you know, back with different words that the Lord has given me of Andrea, come on, you know, come into it, repent a little bit, work with me. I want to bring you into maturity. And I want to remind myself of those words and act, act on those when God invites me. Another lesson learned from King Nebuchadnezzar is that praising God restores sanity in a real way. It's when he raised his eyes towards heaven, his sanity was restored. And so many of us, we make it a lot more complicated than that. There are people in the room, some of us in the room, we deal with actual Moments of insanity. We might deal with depression or with rage or with any of the things that we've listed about King Nebuchadnezzar. There are moments where we feel completely out of control and completely insane. And the Lord is inviting us into sanity through praising him and through worship. It's a huge step. When we lift our eyes towards heaven, when we take the gaze off of ourselves, when we we put it on the Father, sanity is restored. Because it says, you're God. I'm not God. I don't have control over everything around me. I don't have control over the people around me. I will praise you. I will worship you. Um, I once heard someone share with me that one of the best ways that if you're really struggling through depression or if you're struggling through um, insane moments or just recurring anxiety or anything like that, one of the places to go is the Psalms. Because we know the Psalms are filled with praise but they're also filled with people like David crying out to God because of the lowly state they're in and of the wreck their life is in. And um, I'm just going to, if it's okay, I'm just going to read Psalm 103 um, to just part of Psalm 103 to just show how sane the Psalms are. Makes us sane. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Psalms are complete sanity. So I encourage you, if you're a person who just feels chaotic, out of control, just chained to depression or to chronic sin, read the Psalms over yourself. Don't just read them from an observing standpoint, but read them from from your own spirit, from your own soul, and, and proclaim those things over your life. 
Praise the Lord with your own mouth. I like that Dusty said that this morning. Let your ears hear what your mouth is saying. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the last lesson that we're going to look at this morning from King Nebuchadnezzar's life is that God longs to restore us. Because it would be really easy to leave this narrative, this true account of what happened in King Nebuchadnezzar, as a story of God's wrath against somebody who didn't fall in line. It would be really easy to walk away with that. God just loves to lay, put the hammer down. He loves to put us in our place, show us who's boss. He loves to do that. But the truth about this is that God longs to restore us. He gave Nebuchadnezzar every out along the way. He has, had always been showing kindness to King Nebuchadnezzar. He put Daniel in his inner circle. He, he was always reaching out. He was giving dream after dream. He loved King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the end of it all, he gave King Nebuchadnezzar more glory and splendor than was before. And if you were God, I mean, it doesn't make sense that if I was God, I wouldn't do that. This is a guy who fed his energy, fed off of the fact that he had so much stuff, that he had built so much stuff, that his kingdom was so large. That's where he got his energy. But God is so gracious and so compassionate. He wants to restore us completely. God has our best interests in mind. And um, the truth about this story and about just in reality is that many of us feel like restoration in our lives is um, a process that's completely not related to us. We feel like heaven's just going to open and everything's going to be restored immediately. But God's inviting us into a partnership with restoration in our own lives and in our own hearts. There's repentance involved. There's, there's an invitation to heart change. And um, God's really gracious. He wants to restore us. So um, we're just going to take a minute and listen to the Lord. I know this is, this is kind of like a heavy setting word here. But I think it's really um, a word to move on to maturity. And to move us farther into the Lord. So we're just going to take a couple minutes here. And we're going to ask the Lord a few questions. If you would. So, first of all, God, we just want to ask you, what's the state of my heart? So go ahead and ask the Lord. What's the state of my heart? The second question, have I dismissed any hard words from you, Lord? Go ahead and ask God that.
And lastly, God, what heart change are you inviting me into? I just encourage you, um, if you heard the Lord respond to any of those things that you asked, to take it to heart and to act on it and um, to just join the Lord in process of heart change and join the Lord on that journey towards maturity. So if uh, we can have the ministry team come on up. See, this story was all about the restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar.